Welcome to McChesney Unchained, a new show on the DNVR Podcast Network. Before we jump into it, we want you to know that this is a little different than our other shows. Matt McChesney is going to give you an uncensored take on what's going on in the football world, and if you have kids around, you may want to listen to this at another time. McChesney's opinions do not represent those of DNBR, but they are real, and they come from a CU legend who spent six years battling in the NFL trenches. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. Unchained, coming to you from Six Zero Studios here at Six Zero Football Academy, and as always, presented by our great friends at ROI—that's Return on Investment Training. Uh, my man Shane and his lovely wife Nicole uh, bring you McChesney on Cherry Best each and every day, uh, covering Mile High Sports and really covering everything as as the world rolls. Return on Investment is a very unique company. They're operating out of 6-0, and we are damn proud to have them here. Uh, they are leading leaders, and that's what we do. So, like I said, Episode 7-5 is brought to you by our good friends Shane and Nicole at ROI Training. You can find them at fitness underscore ROI on Twitter and at ROI Fitness on Instagram. So, we roll. Uh, episode 75, the Offensive Line Roundtable rolls. Uh, so, like I said, this is episode 75, and I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, we are going to do an offensive line roundtable today, and in studio right now, we just got done with our uh, our grind out here on the turf at 6-0, and we're all a little sweat, sweaty and agitated, but that's okay. Uh, in studio with me, I've got Connor McGovern, the center for the New York Jets, Austin Slavin, uh, offensive lineman for the Denver Broncos, Sam Jones, offensive lineman for the Arizona Cardinals, and Quinn Bailey, offensive lineman for the Denver Broncos. And at one point, all four of these guys were teammates uh, in Denver. And then the attrition of the NFL kind of does what it does. Um, but they have definitely all done to family. They've been in here working for a long time. So go around the room and introduce yourself, guys, uh, as we bring you episode 75, McChesney Unchanged, brought to you by our good friends at Return on Investment Training. Con McGovern. I'm Con McGovern, center for the New York Jets. Austin Slotman, O-lineman for the Denver Broncos. Sam Jones, O-lineman, uh, Arizona Cardinals. Quinn Bailey, O-lineman, Denver Broncos. And we're going to try and keep this light, even though we're awfully heavy in here today. It's a good two metric tons in this bitch. <laughs> um, but, you know, we want to keep it light. We'll do about 20 minutes in here and just talk offensive line playing and hopefully get a couple of laughs. So, fellas, right off the bat, um, this is a position that doesn't get a lot of love. And I think I like it, honestly. I don't really want to be in front of the camera all the time. That's why I got a face for radio. Uh, but – Talk about your favorite thing about playing this position because I I played D-line my whole life and I moved to offense and I wish I would have played that position my the whole time, especially in college because, man, it, it sure is fun knowing where you're going 
and being able to just be a nasty prick all the time. So talk to me about your favorite part of playing O-line and, and why it's such a good fit for you from a personality standpoint. Start with Connor McGovern. <clears throat> yeah, you know, when I was younger, I liked uh, D-line as well in the high school, you know, because you got to make tackles and make plays and stuff. But then, you know, I really started enjoying offense line of college and kind of like what you said, Matt, is, you know, knowing where you're going and just being able to unleash on every play and, and really impose your will on somebody. And it's, it's something kind of uh, something different about being able to uh, make another grown man go where you want him to go while he's trying to fight with everything he's got to go somewhere else. So there's something, uh, something cool about that. Boston? For sure. I mean, um, obviously, I think every lineman can say they love making a grown man go where they don't want to go. But um, something different, I think the fact that there's five, five guys on the field at the same time with the same idea and same um, goal, and you're in the trenches together, um, I think that's special, being able to work together, um, whether it's a double team, whether you've got man blocks, you've got to pass off twists, anything like that. I think the, the camaraderie of it is what I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I would, I, would, uh, I would kind of piggyback off of what Austin said. I think it's uh, – so it's the most unique position in that you got to have all five guys on the line um, on the same page pretty much on every play, or it's gonna be it's gonna be bad news. Um, and just just uh, I've been a part of lines that didn't have that, and I've been a part of lines that did have that. And uh, there's there's really nothing better than when you got your your five brothers that are all on the same page and just uh, just getting after it. So. And one of the coolest things here is. Sam and Quinn played together in college too. You guys played next to each other, didn't you? At Arizona State, or where you split, or regardless, you played yeah. on the same old line in college. So that camaraderie is even deeper. I mean, in, in that regard. So Quinn Bailey, throw your two cents in there too. Yeah, I think kind of like what everyone said, being in the room, there's not a better film room to be in. That's the group that has a better time being together, and kind of goes with the fact that. Five guys have to be doing the right thing for it to work for an offensive line. There can't be someone doing their own thing, messing up. It's not going to work. Can't be one guy just doing random shit, huh? Yeah. Mm, crazy. Uh, I will say this. If all five of us are wrong together, we're all right. So that, that's a good thing. Uh, so let's talk about the meeting room. I'm glad you brought that up. I think the O-line meeting room, look, man, I was in the D-line meeting room a long time. And D-line meeting room is full of a bunch of one-gap players. <laughs> who think that they're really, really good. All the pass, all the pass rushers are not pass rushers. They're just two gappers. There's maybe one, two pass rushers on each team. There's, and there's a lot of ego in that room. You go over to the O-line meeting room, and it's just a bunch of grunts, just a bunch of workers. And it, I really love the O-line meeting room because of the camaraderie in the room, number one, but how bad and or how good we fuck with each other all the time. Like, you really make fun of each other hardcore in the O-line meeting room. Um, so, I, I mean, I never passed up an opportunity to make fun of somebody in the online meeting room. What's the, the fine system? What's the worst thing you were ever fined for, okay? And what do you dislike most about the fine system? I mean, and fuck! <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do. If you do everything perfect, you're still getting absolutely just fine out of your mind. A lot. I don't have a play cool card. Well, I got to find more than all you guys can find. <laughs> so what's the worst thing you've been fine for? So I, uh, I was supposed to get, um, so towards the end of the year, 
And normally on Thursday at lunches, it was supposed to be just hamburgers. And by, you know, after, you know, about 15 or 14 weeks of that, guys were sick of it. So someone goes, hey, let's get crab legs. For some reason, they were crab like, just to make my life difficult. <laughs> so I got them. They weren't the right kind. So not only did I spend $500 on crab legs, I got the wrong kind. And I got a max out fund, which is 2500 bucks. Goddamn rookies. By the lunch I will say this, though. I, after, when I, I was in the, the B-line room as a rookie, and they were real lenient on fines. I don't even remember paying one. When I went to my second year, I was in the O-line room, and I got fined for fucking everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. You got to pay so, those fines. Yeah. Oh, and if you don't pay those fines, you, you don't get to go on the team tri on the trip. Yeah. That's the best. Well, look, man, I'll pay the fines if the trip kicks ass. Yeah. Yeah. Went to Vegas twice. That was really fun. Went on a boat once. That's all I'm going to say. There's a bunch of guys <laughs> on the boat. It was fun. <laughs> we'll just say that. All right, moving on here. Uh, <clears throat> right off the bat. Who's the best defensive player you've ever played against? Connor. Aaron Donald. Um, I'd say Chris Jones. Uh, probably Vita Vea. Yeah, probably say the same. I'm playing So, okay, elaborate on that then. Having not played in an NFL game yet, Quinn, because you, you were on a practice squad last year with the Broncos. And look, man, I watch you grind every day. I think you're going to have a real fucking opportunity when time comes this year, my, my friend. I really do. Uh, if you're talking about Vita Vey, that big nose tackle, he's placed for Tampa now, right? Yeah. yeah. He's a big nose tackle down in Tampa. What's the – okay, so then how does Derek Wolf compare? Uh, just that, that – Son of a bitch! <laughs> just his hands. His hands are way better, Wolf's, just because he's been playing for so long. Vita Vey's true nose tackle, right? Yeah. He's, he's a big two gap. Hard, hard to move. Now, no, here's, here's a separate question. Who's the most hated son of a bitch? Who's the guy you hated the most? Mine's Richie Incognito. I fucking still hate him. <laughs> Can't help it. I hated him in college. I hated him when we were rookies together with the Rams. Fucking still hate him now. Hell of a player. Trick bastard. Kind of guy that I want to play next to, no doubt, but fucking hate him. How about you, Connor? I don't know who's the most person. Who do you just hate in general? Who do you dislike? <laughs> Nobody. Fuck. <laughs> you? No. Who do you love then? <laughs> There's somebody in here. Somebody the offensive line would hate. No one? How about teams then? Just your rivals? God, you guys are they are so politically correct. It's disgusting. I'm trying to think of who I, I really hate. How about hated playing against? How's that? Yeah, hate I'm not saying like hate as a personality. I fucking hate Richie, but <laughs> it's okay. He went to Nebraska. I'm a buff. There's a lot of animosity there. We played against each other three times in college, and then we were on the same side of the ball for a long time, too. So there's true disdain. How about hating playing against? How's that? Yeah. And not just the guy that's the best player. I think I hated practicing against Derek Wolf the most when you get into it. That's there. some good shit. Right uh, there. He's a good guy, though. I mean, he plays hard as shit. And is, he, is he a Z lineman that doesn't want to get touched in practice? No, he likes going to practice. Those guys are the worst. But, yeah. The guys in practice that yell at you for blocking them. You, I heard that Casey's one of those guys, so have fun with that. <laughs> Absolutely correct assholes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Best, best sports movie. Sam goes. Oh, this is a good one. I got to go with Friday Night Lights. I used to watch that shit like good one. literally every day before high school football. Game. <laughs> so, <laughs> good one. Good. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
Dodgeball is definitely a sports uh, yeah, movie. Like bad corn <laughs> <laughs> I might have to go with yeah. bench warmers if we're doing that. Austin. Bench warmers. Bench warmers. I've never seen bench warmers. Bro, baseball movie. I have seen it. I'm going to go with it. Longest yard. That's a good one. Is that original or the one with Nelly in it? I kind of like the one with Nelly in it. Yeah. I know all those guys. I like the former football. Shit. Yeah, all the former football players in that one. Do you speak this football? Broke it in my nose. Pineapple on pizza. Yes. Mm. I, I could yes. 100%. I love it, dude. I do. Yes. Same with Alito pizza. There's got to be the right no. toppings with it. Why not? Why no pineapple on pizza? I guess it just depends what kind of pizza you're having. Canadian bacon. Yeah. It yeah. has to be. That's yeah, all yeah, there is. You can't like put pineapple on pizza. I want like a nice restaurant pizza. I think one of the pineapple one would be kind of bad. Ooh, who has nice, what are there differences between pizzas? Price. Restaurant pizzas? What is a restaurant like pizza? Like a brick oven pizza? You can't have brick oven pineapple pizza. Oh, you can, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not a big pineapple guy, but I can see where the flavors match, like, go well. They do combine. <laughs> flavors are combining, there's no doubt. All right, so now pineapple, what? Ultimate pizza, fat boy, go. Bacon. Oh, pepperoni, oh, Italian sausage. Look at all that meat. All the meat. All the meat. Jalapenos, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. some mushrooms and onions too. And right? you are going to sweat. Oh, the okay. meat sweats are at what, 20 minutes prior? That's all right. It's okay, meat sweats. How about you? Uh, pretty much the same. same. Just all the meats. Yeah. All the meats. <laughs> and some mozzarella. That's I'm not a big guy. Oh, man. It just totally dominates the pizza. Ten more minutes here, and then we'll let everybody go eat lunch because I know everyone's hungry. Myself included. Um, Redskins—they changed their name, okay? and we got four current NFL players and a, a best veteran here. You guys work with, and I, we all have an opinion on this. I'm going to give my first, and you guys can go off of that. I think that this is just the next thing that people are outraged about, and. I also think that 99% of the people that watch football and root for the Redskins and things of that cover the sport, whether you're white, black, Asian, Hispanic, doesn't matter. I don't think that they give a shit. I think that people are more upset that the Redskins are losing their name and that they're not going to be around anymore than anything else. But I also think that people have kind of moved on from the, this is just something you've got to give the crybabies. That just like we had to give them Chief Wahoo, who's over on the wall over here, the Indian mascot. We had to give them that because they cried about it too long. We're going to give you the Redskins name. Keep crying. We'll give you that. But how long is this going to go? Do we have to give them the Braves? Do we have to give them do the Super Bowl champions? Do we have to give them the Chiefs? Do we have to get rid of the Indians name? Do we have to get rid of the Florida State Seminoles? I mean, at what point does, all, does every person on the left that's crying their fucking face off about this shit realize that it's the name. I mean, we can change a name, but if you call it the Red Tails, people are still going to know it was the Redskins. Yeah, I mean, that happened up in North Dakota with the Sioux. And that's where you're, you're from, North yeah, Dakota, North so you can elaborate on that. And I don't know, I mean, it's going to take generations before they're not 
I don't know, they're like the Hawks or something. They're the Fighting Hawks, yeah. No, there's actually certain a couple guys up there. No, and if you go to a game, everybody's in Sioux gear. Yeah, yeah it just says yep. Sioux on it, and it's, I mean, not, I mean, I don't know. Redskins might be the most racist of them all, but it's uh, super racist. But the other ones, like this, I mean, I guess the Sioux claim that that was what their enemies called them, but um, the Redskins are racist. Look, look, it's I'm not saying that the name isn't offensive. I'm saying who's being who's offended. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's my thing. I'm not saying that people aren't offended. I just who? Like I, and I'm not saying like there's no one. Just who is actually offended. Like I need to find the one person out there who's standing and picketing with a sign out front of FedEx, other than just FedEx. Because that's what has happened. Let's be real. This isn't because Daniel Snyder's a good guy. Sorry, didn't mean to touch your leg. That was fucking weird. <laughs> well, that's just like the meeting room. Sorry, I didn't mean to touch it. Um, it, it's not because Daniel Snyder's a good guy or any of that. It's not because they want to pay homage or change the name. It's because FedEx was like, we're going to pull sponsorship, 500 million. And he was like, fuck. And now they're screwed. So I don't know, man. I just, at what point do you. Stop looking at an, at the uh, – doesn't it pay homage? I mean, isn't it – I don't know. I'm really confused about this whole thing. All I know is I just got done reading Empire of the Summer Moon about the Comanches. And so? I think there's nothing that's more badass to name your team after. That's what I'm saying. Badass Native Americans, but at, – At what point, like, I, my, I my, my son, my 10-year-old, okay, goes, why are they changing the name Redskins? I go, okay. It's offensive to Native Americans. And he goes, so, and he, I remember him, we were watching something on the Discovery Channel about, like, Indian Wars or something from for his history class. And he says to me, every time we study the Indians, all they talk about is how ferocious the Braves were, and, like, he's talking about how they, they fought with honor and pride and everything, and he's like, if the Redskin name goes away, what are they going to call them? And I'm like, the Red Tails or something? And he goes, well, so anybody knows that they used to honor the Indians? And I was like, you're 10? <laughs> I was like, shit, that's pretty – but that's my point. Like, at what point is it just – if you take away the Cleveland Indians and call them the Cleveland Spiders, that doesn't pay any homage to the people that were here first. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens there. But at some point, especially if you're a team like – from North Dakota called the Fighting Sioux, or if it was the TCU Red Hawks and they wanted to change your name, that would suck. Yeah, that would suck. All right, moving on. A couple more, we'll get you guys out of here. College football season. Um, I just want to get everybody's opinion on, and because of this, the NFL's plan. It worked. I mean, from what I heard this morning, and I won't say any names, but you guys are definitely going on 28, and that's that. So the NFL's plan, it's a business. College football, I think what they're really struggling with the amateur part of this and, and getting guys exposed to COVID and the ramifications and liabilities that come with it. That three conferences already say they're going to play conference only and two of the smaller conferences, Ivy and Patriot, cancel. And I would imagine the rest of the big conferences are going to go conference only. How do you feel about this? And, you know, do you think that they're going to play college football this fall? And if they don't, how damn weird is this going to be? Connor, go first. Yeah, I think it's going to be super weird if they don't. And, you know, I just feel bad for the guys. Like, I can't imagine all the uh, 
you know, all that hard work that those kids have put in, and then especially like the guys that are seniors or the guys that are seniors in high school, and they just grinded their whole high school career to get it on the team, and then they can't play. And then the guys that grinded high school and college, and they're trying to get to the NFL, and they can't play. And it's just feel bad for them more than anything if they don't, they don't get that opportunity. So I just know how hard I worked back then and how crushed I would be if that, that happened. So my cousin's a senior at Brown. I know he's absolutely just crushed. So we've we sent a bunch of guys in here to Ivies, and not, like the Ivies are still recruiting. Yeah. How are they supposed to recruit right. these guys? Like these kids, the kids that go to the Ivies, you go to an Ivy League school for the education and for good football. They play right. good football in that league. Yeah, for real. They got some ballers. They put NFL guys out every year. Yeah. So your your cousin plays with Brown. What's he gonna do? He doesn't know. You know, he, I know he's he's kind of weighing his options right now. Um, he's. Thinking about if he can transfer, but it's a little late for that. And he's thinking maybe, you know, if he wants to spend a whole another year on eligibility or not. And he's you know, kind of weighing his options right now. How about you, Austin? What do you think? Down TCU land, how are they going to handle this? Um, you know, if they, I hope they do, they be smart. If they're going to do conference only, they, they kind of limit that exposure and keep everybody safe, obviously. But if they're not going to play, I hope they figure out the eligibility rules. And if somebody wants to come back, have another year, I hope they'll let them do that without a question. How are they going to handle turnover, though? Well, that's right. my thing. Are you going to have yeah. 40 seniors? Exactly. That, that's going to be the problem is the, the natural turnover was, is what makes college football great. Right. Is because you get a shit. It's my junior and senior year. I've only got 20 games left. Right. You know, guaranteed yeah. or 24, whatever. That That's the problem with me is how are they going to do the, net, the turnover? Because like, honestly, the spring guys, the baseball players, the track athletes, they just lost their senior year. Yeah. yeah. Are you telling me that college football players have the potential to lose their entire senior season? That, that's the worst part. Holy shit. What do you think? Both you both you played at Arizona State. When you weren't doing what you do at Arizona State, holy shit, I wish I would have gone to school there. Um, what do you think? Um, yeah, I'm kind of the same way, man. I just, I don't, I'm glad I'm not in charge of it because I have no idea what the right answer is as far as like kids come back or, you know, because that, you know, kind of messes up opportunities for other guys that were maybe a redshirt freshman that could get some playing time next year. And, but now they can't because all the seniors. I don't know, man. It's and I do feel really bad for all those kids that have been working their whole careers to, you know, and even not even kids just trying to get a shot at going to the NFL, have a good senior season or something, but just kids trying to actually play. play out the you know, kids year, that have been playing on the scout team for two, three years now, and they're like, oh, maybe I can get a shot this year, and then nope, now there's still all the senior class that mm-hmm. from last year is going to be back, you know. So, Bad but at the same time, you can't just tell those seniors that they don't get a season either. So I, they they can. I'm just glad I'm not in charge of it, man. I, I don't know what the answer is, but um, I, I, I can't see it. I can't see it being good for everybody else. So. All right, so moving, moving forward here, I'll get you guys out of here. Two more questions. Number one, okay, if you could tell young guys, okay, we're going to talk about 6 in a minute, but if you could tell young guys to watch any player other than yourself these days when they're watching the NFL, from an effort standpoint, the offensive lineman, that's who we're talking about, the, the guys who make the team, okay? Quinn Bailey, who would you say the young guys should watch from tackle position? Um, anybody. I think go back and watch someone like Joe Thomas. Yep. 
someone who did it for as long as he did and you know as consistent as he did because that's the big thing i think with tackle play just consistency to the risk involved in connor um best center in the game that's what i watch study oh yeah from an effort standpoint i'd say pouncy's up there but pouncy uh, um but yeah, from a pure effort standpoint, he plays every play hard into the whistle. Um, and he's he's fun to watch because he does is like everything he does is is pretty much his own thing. So I enjoy watching him. You know, I have incredibly different techniques. Offensive line plays, you know, like you watch a guy like Joe Thomas who literally looks like a clinic tape every rep. But then you know, that's because that's how he's built. To kind of find what, what works for you for your build. Um, like my favorite coaching point that Quinn always gets from Munchak is good size because Quinn was gifted by God good size. Where that that I don't think much ever told me good size on any of that. So um, yeah, you just gotta find you gotta find what works with you. So find, I always try to find sort of a similar build and uh, um, somebody I know. Like I like watching Mitch Morris just because he and I were really good friends in high in college and. Um, played together a long time and a really good friend, so I can learn stuff from him. And, and from pure effort, I'd say Pouncey. Awesome. I'd say center wise, probably Jason Kelsey, just because of the effort thing, and he does a little more traditional technique stuff. He's a psycho. Yeah. He's he's still, a, I love that part. He's a small guy. You're yeah. undersized. You're undersized. Yeah. 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 So so a little now. quicker. Yeah. He's so quick. Sammy? Uh, center, I would say Kelsey, too. And then for guard, I, I watched a lot of Marshall Yonda. I love that guy. Yeah, he is such a beast. He's such a baller. Yeah. All right, last thing before we get you guys out of here. This is episode 75, McChesney and Chain, the offensive line roundtable here at 6 0 Strength and Fitness 6 0 Football Academy. Brought to you by our good friends at Return on Investment Training. Make sure you check out Shane and Nicole. They're doing a great job in here, uh, changing the lives of so many. Um, I'm Matt McChesney, as always, your host. And last thing I want to ask these guys, I've been grinding with these guys a long time. Connor's going on, what, four years now? Yeah. Three, four years. Like 12 or something. <laughs> literally ever. I'm about to give him some stocks. The guy walks in here and busts his ass, and we've been here grinding. Um, I think 6-0 is a special place. It's not for everybody, thank God, but it's – it's special for the guys who really love ball and love the grind. So if, if the endorsement of four NFL football players, obviously that's not what I'm looking for. The fact that you keep coming back is all the endorsement I need. I, I'm saying any advice you can give to the next level, anybody out there listening, parents of kids who need a step, especially with all this COVID shit going on, just kind of explain what this place is to you and what it could be to others. And one thing that I love about this place, and I'm kind of envious of Sam, I never had anybody straightening my ass out, and I was a fucking wild animal. That, and it cost me my, it cost me trip to the combine, it cost me draft position, it caught. I think it forced me to switch positions. You know, in my senior season, when you put up those kind of numbers, and then you doesn't happen because of character shit. That's because you're a heathen off the field. And you're not focused on the right things. And one of the things I always try to focus with my guys on is even you guys is. We don't need to fuck up to learn. I don't need to make mistakes to learn. I'll watch somebody else fuck up. And that's, that's I had to learn the hard way. And it's one thing I try and reiterate to my guys all the time is, is just that. 
bigger than football. So just, just give your two cents real quick, and we'll get you guys out. Well, you know, it's, it helps a lot to have someone that, you know, has been there, done it, and knows how to correct it. I know Sam tells a story about tell the story about Matt Helton off the field stuff, so I'll speak more on the field. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, offensive thing for me is, you know, offensive line is such a, you, you don't do it in your everyday life. Like a wide receiver, they, you run, most people run, you know, you jump, you do that kind of stuff. Offensive line, you're, you're trying to do something that people just don't do. Um, so you have to practice a lot of time. Like we're taking tiny little st powerful steps. Like when else are you, you don't walk around town stomping your feet. And, That'd be weird. Yeah, <laughs> just dial stop everywhere. And, He's know, blocking the King Supers. Yeah, like, <laughs> right. Help It's just so it's so unorthodox that you that you don't do it in your everyday life. That you that you need to have a, be at a constant state of improvement. Quinn, uh, I think just find like what's big for kids to come somewhere like here is to find someone that you're not going to be coddled. They're going to be criticized for what you do and. You're going to be corrected because if you want to play in college and play in the NFL, you're never going to have a coach that just lets you do what you want to do. You're going to always be criticized and corrected. So, awesome. Like what Quinn said, I think you have to have, you have, to have tough skin to come in here. I mean, Matt's Matt's a vintage guy, and uh, he's going to tell you how it is, which is something you you definitely need at a young age. Something I didn't have offensive line wise. I mean, I had I had coaches like strength coaches and stuff that would tell me like I'm lifting something wrong, but you don't get that in the off season just working out at your high school. It's, this is something you have to do every day, to play offensive line well and consistently. And um, I think this is a great place to do it. I mean, like I said, you gotta have the thick skin, but it's definitely helpful. For you know, I, I'm in the media and also running a facility and that rubs just some guys the wrong way. They don't like the fact that I actually have an opinion I get paid for rather than just having an opinion. Right. Just saying. Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I would say, uh, for me, uh, starting with Matt, I don't even know when it was, like 2012. I remember your mom walked in with you when you were a sophomore in high school. Yeah, so that was probably, yeah, 2012, somewhere in there. Um, and I was a little shithead, too. Um, Damn beep! Thinking I was the coolest guy around. Um, and then <laughs> I came in here one day and uh, <clears throat> thought, I was, thought I was getting away with this in class. And, Showed up to Matt's and uh, Matt was like, "Hey, Scott, phone with your mom." And I was like, uh, "About what?" And it's like, "She got sled over there. Start pushing it." Like, so like 45 minutes later, I'm like crawling on the ground, trying not to die. Matt's like, "Hey, you gonna keep getting class?" No, I won't. I swear I won't. <laughs> so uh, for me, that was uh, obviously the football side of it. Was um, I don't think I'd be where I am today if I didn't if I didn't start in high school because I think it gave me a it gave me a big head start when I got to college. Um, and then, you know, getting a head start in college also, you know, gets you on the field faster and then you start getting better in college. And then that gave me a shot in the NFL too. So um, I don't think I'd be here today um, if I didn't start in high school and uh, the off the field stuff too, like I said, pushing the sled and everything, you know, got that straightened out. So, um, <laughs> uh, and then I think just, uh, and then at this point in, in my career, I think it's just being around, being around like-minded guys, you know, um, I think it's like, kind of like what Connor was saying, you know, if you're a wide receiver, you can go to a field by yourself and get a lot of good work in. Um, but it's kind of hard as an alignment to really get good work in um, by yourself or just with one other guy. 
So I think coming in here, it's just kind of invaluable to have four, five, six guys in here every day that are um, the same level, if not better um, than you. And then just like-minded, just trying to get better, not just going through motions and actually trying to get after it. I think that's the main thing for me at this point is just being around the guys that, you know, you want to get to their level or, or, you know, just picking things up from guys that might not even be as good as you, but do something else better than you, you know, so. Well, boys, I uh, I appreciate the hell out of you guys taking 40 minutes out of your day to do this. I really do. Um, I know that the folks appreciate it. All the kids are going to listen. Uh, we'll definitely get something out of this. So, uh, Connor, Austin, Sam, Quinn, thank you very much. And uh, I will see you guys Thursday morning ready to get back to work. Don't go anywhere, folks. Episode 75 rolls. And it is our pleasure to bring on the offensive line coach at the University of Miami. Throw it up. The you, baby. Mr. Gar Justice, who is a damn good friend of mine and, and a guy who's, uh, who's been a head coach in the college football level, been a coordinator at the college football level, uh, and is now uh, operating down at the University of Miami where they literally put out draft picks like it's going out of style. And I think that Coach uh, Justice is going to bring a – you know, uh, an added, uh, how do I say this? The guys down at the University of Miami are going to be extremely technically sound. They're going to be tough. They're going to play hard. And they are going to be a confident group. And if I can say anything about Coach Justice uh, as a coach, it's those things. He's developing the shit out of his guys. They're confident. They play hard for him. And, and uh, they, they definitely only seem to, to, to love their coach. So, Coach Justice, thank you so much for coming on. McChesney on episode 75 brought to you by ROI. Uh, and, uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, and uh, we'll get started. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. We need to stop the interview right now because that's, that's a pretty good introduction. That's the best introduction I think I've ever gotten. But uh, – Doing great. Uh, trying to make the most of everything right now with this. Yeah, it's going to be hard to get that one going, huh? Yeah. Uh, we're trying to make the most of the COVID. I mean, we're in the epicenter right now. Um, so it's it's pretty wild. Uh, but, but we're staying safe. Things are good. Uh, and you know what? As far as my background, uh, I was just kind of a guy who was your typical lineman story. Kind of overachiever. Didn't really do anything great, but just did a, did enough to, to keep advancing each level. And had a passion for it, and that's what they say, those who can't coach. So uh, once once they told me I couldn't play anymore, I wanted to stay in the game and kept coaching. And I went to uh, G8 at West Virginia, G8 at Florida State, uh, was able to get a, a head coaching opportunity at Division II School Concord University at an early age, uh, then bounced around at Florida Atlantic and, and most recently UNLV this past year, and now I'm in Miami. So it's it's been a fun, fun run, and uh, – Football's been great to me, so I got to be great to it. Great to it. Amen to that. And, and look, the coaching carousel is something I talk to the guys in here about all the time. You know, you never want to burn a bridge with a coach, and you always want to be respectful and, and upfront because you never know where they're going to be. You know, last year you're in the desert, and this year you're down in South Beach. So, uh, and and we're going to go full circle. You said, and I knew this already, obviously, but if everybody didn't catch that. Excuse me, Coach Justice was the head man down at Concordia, which is a D Division II school in West Virginia. 
And being in the epicenter of COVID right now down in Miami, Florida, unfortunately, I see you're, I see you're uh, definitely locked up in your office back there at the U, baby. Um, do you feel that these D2 schools and NAIAs are going to be able to survive this, man? I mean, the kids are already on half scholarships. A lot of them aren't covered at all. The programs are not funded the same way. I I just got done with a meeting with a couple of parents and they were really, you know, kind of freaked out that the division twos can have camps, but the division one double A's and D ones can't. And I equated it to them like this. The NCAA makes all their money off of D one and one double A. Division two doesn't contribute anything to the money pool. That's why they're allowing people to go to these camps. It's just, it's not real high on their priority list. So they're not focusing on it the same way. They need division one and one double A to play. They hope that division two can play. Am I wrong in thinking that? Yeah, I think from the outside looking in, that's the first thought that comes to your mind. But I think when you're talking safety measures, division two schools take buses. Division two schools trying to do everything they can to keep their kids staying in a hotel. Um, so I, I think there's, and, and usually those schools are closer together than what the division ones are. So I think there's some factors like that, that a division two school or a division two conference can say, we can be safer. Uh, of course, they they're not going to have the funding for testing that the higher schools will have. I think the other thing too is, is um, a lot of those division two schools they function off of the state funding or the school funding, whereas Division Ones they need those TV contracts to come through, and I think I think that standpoint from a financial reason, it allows them the the flexibility to possibly push their season back or do a spring season, and uh, really allow for it to be the safest time for those guys to play. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. I think from the outside looking in, I knew our funds or from fundraising and from whatever the state gave us to operate the program. So, and I know travel wise, we tried to already do everything to where we could make it a day trip to save on our budget. So uh, I'm optimistic that we'll all play, but, but I'm not making those decisions either. So uh, it's going to be interesting. And let me ask you this too, the offensive line coach for the university of Miami uh, coach Garn just, is joining in here on the OL Roundtable, episode 75 of McChesney Unchained, brought to you by our good friends at ROI Fitness. Um, COVID is an issue, brother. We know that. You and I have also talked about the, the beauty of football being that it allows, alf, you know, monster alphas to swing an axe at someone's head on a, on a battlefield just 1,000 years down the road. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a place of solace for monsters. And if they take that away from guys, especially the young ones in college where their identity is so wrapped up in being players, when you get out of, the, of college and you, you're separated for a year or two, you start to realize that you're not just a football player. But in college, that's all they are. They, it's all they have. Their identity is totally wrapped up in it. If they take their football season away or they push it to the spring and it starts messing with guys, Money, you know, you hear that all the time. I don't want anybody messing with my money. Well, if college football starts actively messing with their money even more and not paying them, don't you think that the mental side is going to start wearing on kids and that's more dangerous than the possibility of COVID? I mean, I'm looking at this as 
we're going to stir up in a completely different can of depression and anxiety and guys thinking that they just are, are never going to play football again because of the fear aspect. And I'd love to get your opinion on that as a, as a power five offensive line coach. Yeah. I think the, the good thing that college football programs or major college football programs provide is that structure for the guys. I mean, they're, they're able, we, we're telling them when to study. We're telling them when to go to class. We're telling them when to work out. We're telling them when to eat. We're, we're going to control that schedule. Everything. And I think from a unless, – unless this thing completely is locked down, uh, I, I could argue that we could keep them just as safe as what they would be if they were at home or, or going around doing their own thing. Uh, so I think there's an argument for that, and, and I see – I see the sides of it. I mean, first and foremost, you you would hate to see a college football player get COVID, pass away from COVID, and, and that's a that's a that's a cause and effect that none of us want to talk about or, or assume that it goes there. But uh, but it's also a, yeah, it's a possible reality that that no one wants to come across. Uh, but I would make the argument unless we're shelter in place, unless we're locking down, I think we have. Because let's face it, guys, guys are gladiators, like you said, in a lot of ways. If they're not working out in our sanitized gyms that has trainers watching over and making sure everything's safe, making sure guys keep their distance, making sure they're sanitary, then they're going to go to Gold's Gym and do what they want and probably be more uh, more that, reckless. That, as that is not the area they need to be. Yeah. Correct. But, but you and I both know that a guy who's highly competitive and a guy who wants to play is going to find a place to work out. So why not, why not let it be with us where we can control that environment and keep it safe for them? Or right, Tom, bring your ass down to six zero. <laughs> Look, man, I, I, I know that these kids are competitive. Sometimes you have to shield them from themselves and keep them healthy and safe. And that, I guess that's really my thing is, as a college athlete, how can they – let me ask this question. How scared are you that they actually are going to wake up and understand how much power they have and just strike right? We'd have to do something in order to get the revenue back, right? Yeah. Um, and that's – I mean, that's, that's the thing I know now. That's, that's, a, that's a tough question. I'm just – yeah, I, I think it. I think the biggest thing is it, the thing that's really emerged in the last ten years is the players have a lot more power than they ever have, and and that's a good thing. I, I mean, I remember when we played college, <laughs> you're, you're in a lot of ways you, you they owned you or the coaches owned you, the program owned you, and and I think that makes it as a coach you have to do a really really good job of developing a relationship with those guys. Um, you can't be too close to your players. The, the old, old school mentality of, hey, man, you, you can't get too close to these guys. You can't make it personal. Like, that, that stuff's in the past. Like, you, you better have a good relationship with your guys. You better get to know them. You better want to be involved. Yeah, you better be involved. And that way, now if guys are having issues and let's say a guy's unsure about your coach, I, I don't feel safe going to play. Like you can talk about those things. You, you can, you can work through that type stuff and, instead of being totally blindsided. And I think it's, it goes back to as a coach. I mean, yeah, you, it's X's and O's, but you have to have, 
you have to have a lot of relationships and you got to be a lot to those guys on a lot of different levels. Coach Garn Justice, offensive line coach at the University of Miami down in Miami, Florida, joining us on episode 75, the OL Roundtable here. McChesney Unchained, brought to you by ROI Fitness. All right, let's lighten this up a little bit here, Coach. Uh, number one, do you like pineapple on pizza? It's just okay. Just okay. Okay. Yeah, it's, 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 it's like if it's there, like – my philosophy on pizza is there's no bad pizza, just some better than others. And um, I wouldn't put pineapple in the top five, but it's solid. Nice. There's another adage, but pizza is like something else, but I can't talk about that. Some of you guys know it, but if you don't, maybe we'll put that on the Twitter page. Uh, at at uh, DBR Unchained, DNBR Unchained. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, best sports movie. Bull Durham. Bull Durham. Durham. He hit the fucking bull. <laughs> a lot, lot of good, a lot of good one-liners from Bull Durham. Um, good comedy, good humor. Uh, What's the best one? Fan. What was that? What What's your best one-liner from Bull Durham? What's your best one-liner? The The locker room scene. How we ever win a? he's like. What do you got to do? Scare him. Scare him. We lollygaggers. Yeah, scare the shit out of him. What's the make us? Lollygaggers. What's our record there? One and eight. Or eight and four. How we ever win eight. It's a miracle. <laughs> All right, moving on. From a player perspective, as a coach, who is the guy that's given that you just got done with the game and you're like, that some bitch just wore us out? Hardest guy to game plan for. You know what? Um, last year and and his name his name slighted me because he was a good player. The defensive end from Boise State, who uh, I think he went second third round. Um, he was he was a guy that you go into the game and you watch it, and he's ma he's making plays, he's having success. But that, but you underestimate him. And when you go to the game and he bites you and three or four sacks later, you're like, yeah, I probably should have done some more things to prepare for him. Um, that's the first guy as a coach that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, that, that was, that's part of Madison. Who's that? Alexander Madison. That, that wasn't his name. Uh, or Vander Esch, one of the two. No, it would no, it was this past year. Vander Esch was before. Are you talking about for you? No, I'm just saying from Boise. Oh yeah, and, Bo and Boise's. I mean, that's that would have been a tough out for us, you know, the anyhow. But uh, he he was a guy that that we definitely should have spent more time preparing for. Amen to that. Uh, all right, most hated team. Now, you don't have to answer this as, as working for the U. I know you'd say Florida State or whatever. But most hated team, or how do I say this, most either you hate them or you're jealous of them, one of the two. Yeah, you know what? I, and, I, I hate Nebraska, but I have their titles. Yeah, you, you know, I, I think Miami fits a lot of ways in that. Um, I mean, everyone, everyone in Florida – 
they either love the Canes or they hate the Canes. And to, they to hate be them at, because they hate them. <laughs> exactly. And, and to be at Miami, it takes a different guy. I mean, you are like being being at Miami. It's more than just like people care about the Hurricanes more than they care about the Dolphins or the Marlins. Like at the end of the day, if if the Hurricanes are going, Miami's got your back. And but at the same time, if the Hurricanes are not going, Miami Miami doesn't have your back just for, for the fact that it's a prideful no place. Yeah, and and I think to be to be successful at Miami, you have to have a confidence about you. You have to have an air about you that that says we're Miami, and um, and w- and most importantly, we got to back it up. I dig that answer. You know, it, it's I I personally I love it when people don't like me. I love it when people like oh that guy's an asshole or whatever because I'm I'm toying with your emotion. And all I have to do is be me. So I, I, I like the Raider mentality of we're coming here to take it. I dig the way that the U uh, portrays himself and the, the old school team. They've got documentaries about it, for God's sakes. I, I want to say, whoa, rather than go. I'm looking for that guy. I'm looking for that mindset. So everybody acts like they want, you know, clean cut, nice guy football teams and shit. They're all fucking lying. You know damn well they're lying, coach. I want to reform players. I do not want to recruit them. I am looking for animals that want to go out there and destroy other grown men. I'm not looking for a bunch of fucking nice guys. Go be nice the other six days of the week. Yeah, and and I think it's nice to be at a place where everyone looks at you on their schedule and says, man, we got to get those guys. Like, we got to – because, I mean, and that's the challenge we're we're trying to tell our guys is that, hey, guys – just because you see this team on film, you're going to see a whole different beast on Saturdays because they have circled your game. <laughs> like you are, yep. you are storm the field, tear the goalpost down. Goalpost game, I like it. All right, last couple of questions. Number one, you said you're a baseball guy. Uh, the steroid eras when I grew up, the 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 '98 season, they just made a. a a documentary about it, Long Gone Summer. I thought the documentary was kick-ass. I think that those guys, you know, the I'm really torn about it because I'm not advocating cheating. I'm not saying you need steroids to be successful. But, God damn, those years were fun, man, watching them just crush the shit out of the baseball. The Barry Bonds year was fun, although Bonds is a prick. The, but the Big Mac and the Sammy Sosi year, it's, I thought it saved baseball. It got me back into the game as a young kid. I mean, it. How do you, how do you feel about those guys? Should they be in the Hall of Fame? And and how, how do you feel about things of that nature? It seems like football players, no one gives a shit if they take HGH and steroids. But what why why is Mark McGuire still not in the Hall of Fame? Why is Sammy Sosa blackballed forever? Because is it the purity of baseball? What is it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, first and foremost, I grew up a Cincinnati Reds fan, so I always have the Pete Rose debate. It's like. Pete Rose should be in. He's the, the yeah. greatest contact hitter of all time. He should be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> he never, he never bet against them to lose. So like, he just kind of was arrogant and was like, "I'm gonna double down on on me being great." Bet on himself. Yeah. Can't can't bet on myself. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And um, I know, of course, it's not right, but I know the excitement I felt when I was a teenager and watching those guys just blast dingers and, and 
I mean, you're watching Sports Center at night, and they're like, "Oh, hold on, Mark Mark McGuire's at bat." You know, like, I mean, like the whole the whole country was excited. And, and I remember I was in college. I um, happened to uh, go to Baltimore. It was an interleague game uh, when Barry Bonds was in the middle of doing what he did and just running to watch batting practice, getting there early to watch batting practice. And, and he had 25 pitches. 21 were line shots in Camden Yards. And it's like, it's like man, to, like to watch that. Greatness. Yeah, it's greatness. And, greatness. and Barry Bonds was a Hall of Fame player even before those years. So, um, yeah, yeah I mean, I think. Remember, Barry went 30-30. He went 30 steals, 30 jacks before he got huge. No question. And, and um, yeah, it's just. It's unfortunate that it happened. I get it. I mean, but if you're going to throw stones, you also have a guy like Ty Cobb who was a criminal who's <laughs> in the Hall of Fame. So, like, what, what's worse? All right, last question I want to get, throw out there for you, Coach. Coach Garn Justice, offense blind coach of the University of Miami, joining us here on Episode 75, the OL Roundtable. All right, so you've recruited guys out of this room. You've offered multiple guys out of this room. We got to get one down to the U uh, as you, you're now going into your first season down there. And with all the COVID stuff going on, eventually it will happen. Um, I'm not saying advocate for the gym or do a commercial or any of that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying from your professional opinion as an offensive line coach and our relationship and how much you've seen, I tag you on everything. I'm constantly asking you advice. You're asking me for advice. What can you tell the, the people listening, young offensive linemen out there, college guys about, or high school guys going to college, college guys going to the NFL, about what a place like 6-0 can do for them, what all the, all the ex-players out there that are trying to help with their own places, the, the, you know, Schneider down in Phoenix and Willie Anderson in Georgia and Chuck Smith in Atlanta and, you know, my, my boy Tank Reed down in Dallas and yada, 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 yada. All these guys giving back through what they love, especially now with the COVID scare and what's going on. What would you say to the young younger generation right now that's kind of sitting there going, how do I make this work for me? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that that they find structure. You know, kind of like what I was talking about with, with our college guys. And, and uh, if, if that high school program is shut down, and they, they can't do those things and you, you can find a safe place to, to go work, work to, that's good. Because uh, at the end of the day, just like us, like it doesn't matter if we start on time, if we play in the spring or like at the end of the day, we have to produce. If you want a scholarship as a player, or you want your school paid for, you have to put it on tape. You have to produce. Um, so I think it's very, very important. I know firsthand, I mean, one of my guys at UNLV worked out with you when he was when he was finished playing, and and you gave him a chance to to you know and be on the roster with the Broncos. And, and I think the training he got with you was invaluable. That it allowed him to to get a shot. Even I mean, you know, now he didn't last very long, but at the same time he was prepared. He was prepared, and 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 he was ready to go. And and I think for a guy, especially yeah, yeah, leave leaving college and and. Trying to go to the NFL, I mean, it's a, it's a great, great place to prepare, especially if you're a lineman. Um, it's, it's a great place because you've played both. You've played both at the highest level, and that's invaluable. And it is my honor and pleasure to bring in 
uh, an ex-teammate of mine, a good friend, and, and a guy who I really uh, admired and looked up to a lot when I was playing uh, in the meeting room with him. Um, and then, you know, it, it, watching him play at Pittsburgh and uh, it, when I moved offense or when I moved from defense to offense with the Jets, I remember my coach, Bill Callahan, saying to me, you need to watch and mimic and, and just glue yourself to Fanica and, and really try and, and do some of the things you see him do on tape as I was moving positions. So it is my honor and pleasure to bring in um, my ex-teammate and a friend of mine, Alan Fanica, 13-year uh, NFL veteran, uh, first-round draft pick with the Pittsburgh Steelers, played at LSU, uh, the, the current defending national champion. Um, so, Alan, thank you for coming on McChesney Unchained, episode 75, our roundtable episode here for the old linemen. Uh, how you doing, brother? Welcome to the show. I'm doing good, man. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on here with you. So, Alan, going in the first round, and, you know, back in the day, there, there were these things called bonus babies, and Sam Bradford was the last one. And it's, you know, it's the they, – they changed the – the CBA back in 2011, I believe. So the first round picks started making less money initially. But you were you came from an era at the end. Where did you go in the in the first round? 28th, 26 or 27. 26, 27. So you you were at the end of the first round going to a quality franchise in Pittsburgh. There's still a lot of pitfalls that come with that first round shine and that first round. What would you say to one of these first-round draft picks, man, one of these high picks that are going into a situation with no offseason, no OTAs, all they do is Zoom like this? I mean, it's good to talk to you, but this would be really hard to do constructive NFL work. Like if we were in the meeting room with Callahan, I think it would be difficult. Just elaborate on that in your opinion a little bit, what that young guy would have to do to get ready considering you were a first-round pick when you when you came into the NFL. Yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think every team has been handling it a little bit differently, man. But I think uh, it'd definitely be hard, right? Like, uh, if you're sitting in that meeting room, you know, it's, uh, you know, you get that kind of one-on-one with the coach. Uh, even, you know, uh, you know, I've done a little bit on the other side of the ball, coaching a little bit, and, like, just to be able to see someone's reaction. Like, do you really get what I'm getting? You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I could imagine uh, Bill sitting on one of these Zooms with, like, you know, six rookies and uh, just getting frustrated maybe a little bit trying to uh, read everybody, read the group. Uh, so, uh, you know, you'd have to be uh, extremely honest in your answers. and Just, you know, Coach, I don't know what in the hell you're talking about, man. You know, <laughs> definitely, uh, you know, you got to be wide open and because uh, you need to, you know, in this environment where you're not getting OTAs, practices, mini camps, meeting time. Uh, the best thing a rookie can do is come in and be prepared and know the playbook. And, you know, hopefully that's one less thing you have to worry about and uh, be, you know, behind the eight ball a little bit. Yeah, one thing that I'm working with all these guys, getting ready for the combine and putting them in the league and, and working with them in the me, we do as much meeting room work as we possibly can, Alan, because I, I remember when I switched positions, Coach Callahan was like a blessing because he was so detail-oriented. He had that sweet-ass sweater that he used to tie around his neck when he was in meetings, super swaggy. And he was so detail-oriented that he really, it really pushed me in a direction where I was like, okay, I've got to know this as well as Coach C does or I'm going to get cut. I try and push that onto my guys in the same, in the same fashion that 
64 and scat are the same thing. It's how you it's how you package it and how you study it. Try and package all this stuff together so you can actually think about more than what the hell do I have to do on this play. One of the problems we run into the most here, Alan, is how long did it really take you to feel comfortable enough in the meeting room to be like, hey, I don't know. Because it took me like three years. So it's going to be really tough for these kids coming in, all that first-round pressure, because the biggest problem I have with them is they don't talk. No one wants to admit that they're wrong, and I don't know how they're going to be able to teach without that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so I was in the mix. I didn't start right off the bat, but I was definitely going with the with the first team uh, through training camp and whatnot. So, you know, I got I kind of got thrown into the fire, you know, where you make some m- mistakes and uh, you get more reps. Uh, so you kind of get thrown out there a little bit and, uh, you know, you get your answers uh, resolved, whether you were going to ask them or not. Uh, but definitely like other guys, other rookies, uh, um, you know, they didn't have that luxury, you know, maybe they got two snaps in team period, you know, so they definitely, you know, could ask the questions and get them answered. But definitely my, my first go-to was uh, the other rookies. Hey, did you catch that? Do you know that? And if it wasn't a solid answer, then I went to my next line. I, w- I went to the, to the old guys and like, Hey man, I don't know what help, like, help me. Uh, so uh, th- th- those were my two lifelines. So, Alan, move, moving forward here as we, we uh, elaborate here on the O-Line Roundtable on episode 75, McChesney Unchained, brought to you by our good friends at ROI. Uh, one of the best players, in my opinion, at, at his position in NFL history, Alan Fanica. And you're, you, did you make the haul yet, Alan, or did you miss it just by – you missed it by a couple of votes, right? Not to rub it in, not to be a dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't, I don't know what the vote count was, but I, I, did, uh, I did miss the cut yet again. So I, I would I would anticipate that eventually that's going to happen. I don't know how they can keep a player like you out of there, a six-time All-Pro, nine-time Pro Bowler, first-round draft pick, and not only that, but a, a true leader of men, bro. You like the, people talk about it all the time, but it's very rare to actually be that guy. To be a guy that a guy like me is going, I'm I'm following him. That's the guy that I'm I'm trying to strive to to be like, to act like, to prepare like, to be a pro. Um, as you watch the game and where it goes, do you think that they're that the that the NFL is moving away from team, be a pro, do your job, and moving towards the NBA model of promote the superstars and it's about the individual now? Do you think that the NFL is maybe going down that road a little too much? I think maybe the league is going down that road, but I, I still think it's, you know, uh similar you know once you're in the guys you're in the team you're you're in yes. that environment you know i think uh uh definitely the league is selling that package deal and trying to you know go that uh superstar promotion route and uh moving that but i still think it's got to be the same uh you know when i've been around the guys uh, i've been back in pittsburgh some and you know it seems seems really similar you know just different mindset different uh different generation but it seems really similar you know, it's that culture, you can never wash that culture off, good, bad, or indifferent. All right, next question. Uh, at one point in your career, uh, Fanica, you were the highest paid offensive lineman in NFL history. Mahomes goes and signs for $450 million. Holy shit, what a contract. It's backloaded, it's 10 years. What advice would you give him right now saying, look, you're the highest paid athlete in history. Now you're the highest paid athlete in your position. What advice would you give him right now? Just keep keep being who you are, man. You know, it's uh, 
uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to change you, right? It's going to go away just as fast if you let it change you and all of a sudden you drop, right? I mean, like you said, it's backloaded. They can, uh, uh, a 10-year deal can turn into a four-year deal real quick. Uh, and, uh, you know, you still would make a lot of money, but, uh, you know, it's definitely, uh, uh, you definitely can lose out. So, man, don't, don't change who you are, man. Keep working hard. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's like the guy that has the big year at the end of his contract. Right. Uh, in my mind, it always annoyed me and irked me. Like, where you been for the last four years, man? I needed you. Right. Like, you know, like a, a defensive guy, right? Like all of a sudden you got 10 sacks, man, you got four, like every year before that, like, I could have used, you know, another 20 sacks the last uh, three, four years. Uh, you know, so that that, ir that always irked me. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, keep keep being who you are, man. Keep plugging away. And, uh, you know, I mean, he seems like he's got his head on his shoulders and uh, he's a good kid. He surely does. Hey, he, he's he's special, man. I, I'll tell you. Uh, Alan Fanica joins us here on episode 75, McChesney Unchained on DNVR.com. Make sure you check out everything they're doing here on the Mile High Front Range. Uh, Alan, LSU won the national title last year. Congratulations to your Tigers. Um, I, know, I know it's big, 15-0, first team to ever win 15 games in, in college football. Did you go to the game last year? Oh, no doubt. Oh, no yeah, doubt. I, know, I know. I could have sworn I saw you down there. Was it as hyped as it looked, bro? Because it looked like it was crazy hyped. It was, it was crazy, man. And, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I went down. We were down there for three or four days, not three days, and uh, – uh, you know, it was like going back to college, like being back on yeah. campus, every bar, every bar I turned into or every street I made a turn on, man, I was bumping into somebody I knew or guys I played. Hey, hey. <laughs> so uh, it was a blast, you know, it was awesome. That's always the best part of those reunions down, down in college town. I always tell my guys I work with the high school ones, you're building the foundation for the rest of your life with your college teammates. Your pro teammates, it's professional. You're going to like each other, you're going to have friends. Your college boys are the ones you're going to ride with for the rest of your life. So that, that's pretty damn cool. Um, what, did, what advice would you give those kids right now? I mean, do you think the NCAA is, is playing with fire here, trying to play college football games with an amateur status so they can make their money while the players aren't, while they're exposing themselves to a potential pandemic? I mean, there's a lot of strings that can get pulled here, Alan, and I, I think that they're really playing with fire big time. Yeah, they are, man. Uh, you know, I mean, definitely, I, I want to see it. I want to, you know, I want to see the action. I want to see the games. But, uh, you know, I think they're really uh, flirting with the whole uh, amateur status of uh, How can they get away with this, Phil? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if half the campus is there or the campus, you know, is not there, and all of a sudden, you know, the football guys are still on campus playing games, uh, that comes off as a bad look. So, okay. There's no college football players union. What what do you think is really stopping these kids from just locking arms and not playing? Can you imagine opening game of whoever's going to play first now because God knows who it is? If they all just were like, we're not going to play today, and then the next team did it, and the next team did it, don't you think it would force the money to the table? It might, you know, I, I think it's a lot like, it's a lot like uh, the NFL, you know, uh, people always wonder why, uh, why, why is, why is the baseball union so strong, right? Well, you know, baseball guys play for freaking 25 years. Uh, you know, they, they got cool. time to be strong, right? Uh, NFL, you know, there's guys at different levels, careers are short, everybody's, you know, got to make it while they can. 
same thing in college. Uh, you know, there's guys that are planning on making that jump to the NFL. They're like, whoa, we got to play. You know, I'm not worried about that. I'm trying to make money. Uh, you know, and then there's guys that are coming along. Everybody's in different levels in college, just like right. uh, NFL. And it's uh, it's hard when everybody's got different interests and uh, different ideas about uh, what's going on and where they want to go. Yeah, they're going to have to come together in order to get anything done. And that, that's the problem with so many guys with different goals. So in the NFL, everybody's goal is to make money and win football games and, you know, foundation for you and your family. In, in college, you're right. Everybody's goals are different, both on the field and off the field a lot of the time. So, all right, we'll wrap you up with a, a couple quick questions. Number one, uh, <clears throat> best player you ever played against and why? So, uh, you know, I never, I never love to give the credit out, but uh, so Warren Sapp, uh, just strictly because he made you change the, the way you played the game. Uh, so much, you know, so much about offensive line is, is repetition and doing the same thing and, and getting in your groove and, and, and kind of just applying your craft. But if you did that going against Warren, he owned you because you couldn't play how you normally play it. You had to play it more like a guard tackle hybrid when you were inside. You, you, know, you had to set like a tackle, but you had to set firm like a guard. And you had to work all week long to play against him. Uh, always uh, pulled my scout team guy aside and uh, told him, man, I, I need you this week. You got to give me some work. So it was, it was, a, it was an all-week thing to get ready to play him. Um, one guy that when I moved from offense or from defense to offense after my rookie season, uh, we had we had a vet on on the Jets named Kimo Von Ohoff. I know you played with Kimo in Pittsburgh, and, and Kimo man was one of the few. Him and Pete Kendall were and, and Brandon Moore, big meat who had moved from from off defensive line to offense at Illinois, and then played in the NFL for a long time. But even Kimo being a defensive lineman, he used to take me out to practice all the time and thirty minutes a day and teach me rep, 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 and what he's looking at, all that kind of stuff, and. With a guy like Kimo, who's so technically sound, is it harder to play a guy who's just like, you know what you're going to get. He's going to read his key. He's going to lock you out. He's going to shed. He's going to make a tackle. And if you don't do your job, you're going to get embarrassed. Or, like Kimo, or you know, a guy like Warren, who is kind of off the cuff and does his own thing a little bit of the time, but can catch you. Which, which guy's more difficult to prepare for? The, the one who's consistent or the one who's explosive? I think the explosive guy uh, yeah. is, is, is the, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like the wide receiver that can, uh, you know, might not make a catch, but he's the guy that can go 80 yards in one play. You know, that's the, is the kind of, uh, you know, third and long kind of situation. I'll, I'll take the uh, guy I know what he's going to do uh, every day on a third and 10 versus the uh, explosive guy that's lining up a little wide, and I'm not really sure what he's going to do. I'm into that. All right, a couple more. Number one, pineapple on pizza. Thoughts? Mm, you know, it's not for me. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not for me. You know, I mean, I love some Hawaii, but uh, it's not for me. No pineapple on pizza. Okay, is the crawfish? Is all that that Cajun food? Is it is it really to die for? Like I keep hearing. Man, uh, you ever hear people say, you know, you're going to cruise, you're gonna put on ten pounds? Yeah. Same thing. Same things for true for a long weekend in New Orleans, man. You're gonna put on ten pounds, man. It's you got to eat. Nice. All right. Last one. Denver Broncos drafted uh, Lloyd Crushenberry, the center from LSU in the, in the third. They're damn excited about this guy. He's replacing a, a guy, Connor McGovern, who 
I've been working with at six zero for going on five years now. He got a huge deal with the Jets, with the good guys. Uh, so I'm damn proud of Connor. But, you know, Lloyd stepping in to replace a pretty damn good uh, player in Connor McGovern. Just talk about Lloyd and what he brings to the, to the, to the table coming from LSU uh, and playing the center position. Uh, and then we'll get you out of here on episode 75. You know, man, he's got a lot of tenacity. He's got a lot of smarts. Uh, he plays the game well. Uh, you know, it's hard coming in as a center, man. You got to be the, the, the kind of the lead cog. Uh, you definitely can't be the guy that's got questions. So it, it's just a hard transition for uh, any center coming into the league. But uh, he's got a lot of the right tools and, and the attitude to get it done, I think. And then what do you think Joe Burrow's going to pan out like? Just to throw that out there, I wanted to get your opinion on that. I forgot to ask. You know, man, Joe's, man, he's, it's an enigma, man. Like, right, that, that season he had was just amazing. And uh, Unbelievable. You know, to, see, to see if he can keep doing that uh, in the NFL uh, is amazing. I, I just, you know, I, I hope the best for him, and I hope it continues. And, uh, you know, if he can continue that kind of string in the NFL, uh, you know, he's going to be the next guy we're talking about to signing one of these 10-year deals. Amen to that. Well, brother, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and, and spitting some truth and some knowledge at an Unchained Nation. Uh, Mr. Island Fanica, one of the best offensive linemen in NFL history and a guy that I uh, tried to, to mimic uh, as much as humanly possible when we were in all the Jets together back in the day. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show, Alan, and uh, all the best to you and your family. Uh, take it easy, brother, and we'll talk soon. Same to you, brother. You know it. Go Jets.